the newbies. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. Really, really happy that you're here. Got a little family business to do first. Uh, Sam and Willie, where are you guys at? Why don't y'all stand up? Show your baby. It's the first Sunday for baby Derek. Yeah, come on. Awesome. Bless you guys. That's awesome. Everybody happy and healthy? Good, good. Good deal. Also, I uh, want to do something this morning. Uh, it's kind of sad. Yeah, Bill and Aaron, why don't y'all come on up? This is, this is the last Sunday that Bill and Aaron Holmes will be with us. They are moving to Boston. Yeah, we're going to do it. Come on up. Well, we just want to pray for you guys. These are, these are people who have been really, uh, really important uh, here at the Vineyard, but uh, especially important at the university. So much of the culture that's happened at the university, and especially in the last, what, four years? Yeah, you guys been here about that long? Yeah. So much, especially when it comes to all the international students that we have in the house, like you, you can draw the line right back to these two people. And it's a really, really big deal. And so we want to just uh, bless them on their way out and release God's bless, best for you guys. Is that okay? All right. Well, Father, let me just come right behind you. Father, thanks for, thanks for Bill and Aaron. Thanks for baby Simon. <laughs> thanks for answering prayer. Father, thanks for the time that we've had together. We just, we just count it as a blessing from you to even get to know and share life with these people. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, as we send them out, God, we ask that you would, that you would bless them like they've never been blessed. We just speak the blessing of the Lord over your house. We just speak the blessing of the Lord over the home's house, not only this house, but all future generations that would come out of this house. We speak a blessing of the Lord over Bill, over Aaron, over Simon, over the children that will yet come, and over Simon's children that are yet to be born. We just bless that line in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we bless, uh, we bless this next season of employment, this next season of challenge, this next season of mountain climbing. God, we ask that you would give them supernatural strength, supernatural endurance, supernatural vision and wisdom. God, I ask that you would empower Bill and Aaron for the next thing. God, I ask that you would take Bill to the top of his, of his industry. God, I ask that, that he would be the corner office in every situation. God, I ask that you would make him famous in the nations. And God, I ask that he would be innovative in educating people around the world. God, I ask the same for Aaron. God, I ask that the doors that you've already opened up for her in language and for caring for people, God, I ask that they would continue to remain open and that there would be blessing there. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we just bless the books that you're going to write. Uh, and the manuals that you're going to write. Because you're pioneers. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Love you all. Oh, yeah. Give it up. Uh, it's the cool part about the vineyard, and it's the sucky part about the vineyard. You meet cool people... And then they go to Boston. <laughs> you guys do know it's cold there, right? Well, I tell you what, um, if you want to, I want you to open up your Bibles this morning to two spots. We're going to look at two places in particular this morning. They're not going to be on the overheads because I've done a poor job of giving those scriptures to the people who could handle them. Sorry, Nate. Yeah. 
Sorry. Uh, yeah, I want you to open up your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 9. And then if you want to turn hard left, and I want you to go all the way back to Joshua chapter 10. We want to look at a couple places. We've, up to this point, we've uh, been in a series here at the Vineyard about, about healing and about just beginning to uncover praying for the sick and seeing God move in a miraculous way in our life. And I want to continue in that series sort of this morning, if that's okay. Can, I, can we do a sort of? Freedom for sort of? Yeah, um, I, I, had a, I had something I was going to share with you guys, but I'll just put it off till next week because I feel like the Lord gave me something else for us that's, uh, that's really important. Um, I hope you guys are, are becoming more aware of, uh, of, the, of the Spirit of God and what He's doing in our community. I, I, hope, you, I hope I'm not the only one. Am I, am I the only one who just has an internal witness that the Spirit is sort of like moving around and He's doing something here? Y'all, y'all on that vibe? Yeah, um, I feel like it's a really important season we're in right now. Uh, we, we, there, there, are all these, uh, there are all these different times and seasons in the Lord, uh, especially in a church. We've been here for 15 years, so we've had, we've had moments where He's really active in something, and then you know just kind of regular moments, and then moments when He's really active in something. We're kind of kicking back into this moment where He's really active among us again, and, and He's becoming less and less of, a, of an idea, and He's becoming more and more of a, a reality. Not just something that I know in my head, but something I, I feel and I know in my heart, uh, an experience, uh, a, a tangible, touchable, knowable, weighty, you know, there's a couple moments in worship, did, I don't know if, if you guys experienced it, maybe it was just me on the stage, but did you guys experience like it got heavy? It's like, wow, what's that? It got heavy? Well, it's just the Lord. And we're in one of these seasons where he's a little nearer, and I think he's doing something, and biblically speaking, uh, uh, you might you might call it um, we're in, we're in a moment right now where, that you might call like a kairos moment. There there are two kinds of words in the New Testament that's used for time. There's chronos, which has to do with chronology, like uh, time as it happens chrono- chronologically. I speak for a living. Time as it happens chronologically. But then there's this other word, and it's really important in the New Testament, and it's called kairos. And kairos is not just chronological time, but it happens within chronological time. Kairos is, is the fulfillment of a moment. It's like when everything comes together just perfectly. It's when it's the perfect time for some, the perfect thing to happen. That's a kairos moment. When, when, when it's completely filled, when the fullness of time happens, that's a kairos moment. And in kairos moments, really big things happen. So, for example, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus shows up and he begins his preaching ministry. Now, you understand, Jesus has been on the planet for 30 years, right? But he's done essentially nothing. He's, he's built a few tables. He's honored his mother and father. He never did anything wrong. He, he made the coffee table. He made a couple end tables. He made the headboard at their house. But for, for the most part, he's really not done much other than that. And one time he ran away from his parents and he hung out in the temple. And then they found him. And, but for 30 years, it was, it was Kronos, Jesus, the chronological order of Jesus' life. But then somewhere around 30, 31, we don't know for exactly for sure, but somewhere around 30, Jesus began his ministry, and he started his ministry with this declaration. He said, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is the fullness of time. And so this beginning preaching, this beginning sermon, this beginning message from Jesus begins with the time is at hand, the time is full. It's this idea of, of, of kairos. It's, this time, it's the idea of it is completely pregnant, and now it has to happen. And so a new day started, not just in Jesus' life, but in the life of the world and as the, of the planet as we know it. You with me? Kronos, Kairos. Big stuff happens in Kairos. So Kronos is, Kronos is quantitative, while Kairos is qualitative, if we could put it that way. Big things happen in those moments. It's like uh, right now we're having a Kairos moment out on our property. 
we've worked all year long and the grapes came uh, the, the grapes they came out of out of the wooden branches in the winter it's just it's just it looks like dead wood and then in the spring these little leaves they pop open and then all summer long these tiny little berries appear and they're the tiniest and they're hard as BBs and then as the summer goes the berries get bigger and bigger and bigger and then pretty soon if it's a, a red variety they go from being green to some sort of a weird red color and then a little bit later they're purple and right now our vineyard is just full of Kairos grapes it's the, it's the time and here's the thing about a Kairos moment you can actually miss a Kairos moment you realize that I could miss the time of harvest in my vineyard I could actually miss it it's, there's, there, is, there is a day when you pick grapes if you pick them too early they're a little bitter they get in your gills you, you pick them too late they get a little raisiny birds come and eat them there's a Kairos moment it has to do with time there's a fullness of time. There's a, there's a specific date. And Justin and I, we, we go out and we test the grapes every single day. And we, and we check their sugar. We check their pH. And we check, the, we check the total acidity because we want those things to be in balance. And when they're perfectly in balance, it doesn't matter what's going on. We pick. Like last night, I was supposed to be here because it's my job. Because I'm the pastor and so I'm supposed to be here on Sunday night. I didn't come. I threw, busty, I threw Dusty under the bus. I wasn't even here at his first sermon. And the reason I wasn't here is because one of our varieties had a Kairos moment. It was the time they had to come off. And it doesn't matter what else is going on. You pick grapes. And because of that, me and Dr. Ray and Josh and Justin were in the field at 10 p.m. You guys were like chilling watching football. Our, grapes were, our hands were dirty with grapes. That's what Kairos is. And so I feel like we're kind of in one of those moments when it, it feels to me like it's getting ripe. Does that language work for you guys? It's getting ripe. Like, it's been like little green BBs, and then they got kind of fat and squishy, and now they're turning sort of purple. And you go out and eat them, and they're sort of enjoyable, you know. So it's just, it's just that. That's just really what I feel like. What's going on right now? And um, I, I really do agree with, uh, with, with Mike uh, Giordano. Uh, y'all remember worship last week? Like something happened. It was kind of like this week, but only different I really agree with Mike Mike said that it was one of those moments where he felt like um, like in C.S. Lewis's uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe like we just accidentally fell through the back of the cupboard I, I really I feel, I, I feel like that happened last week something happened in worship but it wasn't it wasn't just worship it was really I feel like last Sunday was a real strategic moment and because of that uh, y'all remember at the end of at the end of message time we did that we just sort of did a proclamation to everyone in the room and, and to every all the powers of the air and over our region. Y'all remember that? I feel like when we did that proclamation, we kind of kicked something open. We fell through the back of the cupboard. We did some proclamation. And because of that, now, now we're actually required, because of proclamation, we're actually required to begin to move into demonstration. Because it's a little bit of what we talked about last week. There's this, in the kingdom of heaven, there's this rhythm, okay? There's this rhythm, and the rhythm in the kingdom of heaven is Isaiah 61, Mark chapter 4. Jesus begins his ministry in Mark chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 4, and he's preaching to the home team, and he begins his message with, uh, with reading out of the book of Isaiah, out of Isaiah 61. And, and, and if you guys remember that, Isaiah 61 reads like, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's sent me to do some good stuff to proclaim freedom for captives. And to, you all remember that rhythm? So there's this rhythm in Isaiah 61 of things we proclaim and then things we go do. Things we proclaim and then things we go do. Things we proclaim and then things we go do. So in the kingdom of heaven, there's actually a rhythm to life. 
And if you get out of step with the rhythm, you actually can't hear the song and play it right. How many of y'all realize this? That every song is basically constructed of three things. Every song is, is lyric, it is melody, and it is tempo. And it doesn't matter if you know the lyric, and it doesn't matter if you know the melody. If you get out of tempo, you're not singing the song. Right? I hope that wasn't too musical. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like right now we're just, uh, we're getting in a, in a, in a kingdom rhythm. And, and Jesus begins in Mark chapter 1. Y'all can look at this. It's, you actually see it in Mark chapter 1 really well. Um, and Isaiah 61 is sort of the prophetic foreshadowing, shout proclamation of what Jesus begins in Mark chapter 1. But Jesus begins in Mark chapter 1 with saying, The time is full. It's completely pregnant. My crop of, my crop of grapes is completely ripe. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's about as far as my hand is from my shoulder right now. It's so close. It's within reach. And, he's, and he begins with this message. And then the very next thing he does is he goes to church and he kicks out devils. And then he goes and he heals a sick woman with a fever. And then people find out about it and they bring all the sick and all the demonized to Jesus. He kicks out all the devils and heals all the sick. And then he gets up early in the morning and he says, Guys, this is really good, but we can't stay here. I have to go preach. So he's, got, he's talking about, I've got to go proclaim again in all the cities because that's why I came. Mark chapter 1. And then while he's on his way out of town, leper guy comes and says, Hey, Jesus, y'all remember this. He falls at his feet and he says, You can make me clean if you're willing. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Y'all remember that? So we have Jesus proclaiming, then Jesus kicking out devils, healing the sick, kicking out devils, proclaiming, cleansing the leper. Y'all see this? There's this rhythm. And I feel like right now the Lord is putting us in this rhythm and we've done a real good job of proclaiming and now there's something about proclamation and the thing about proclamation is it actually requires that demonstration follow. If demonstration doesn't follow, then you're out of rhythm and it doesn't matter if you know the lyrics and it doesn't matter if you know the melody. You can't sing the kingdom song. Whoa, come on. Is that cool? Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, if you don't have the rhythm, you put the words in the wrong spot. It sounds like crap. Yeah, Proverbs says that a word spoken at the right time is like an apple in a setting of silver. You know, it's, it's the perfect thing. And so right now, we've been, we've been in a season of proclamation, and now the Lord is bringing us into a season of demonstration. It's one of the reasons that I felt like we needed to kick open this thing of, of supernatural healing, learning how to renew ourselves and, and begin to be people who are a solution for sick and broken people. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. Not only that, but I had a vision this week. Uh, and I had a, it, it was, um, I, it was, I was just hanging out in my office, just kind of sitting before the Lord. And while I was sitting before the Lord, uh, just sort of had a vision. And for those of you in the room who maybe never had a vision, uh, it, it's real easy. It's just like you, you close your eyes and you see things in your imagination. And before I knew the Lord, I, I just thought that, well, I'm just making stuff up. But after, I, after I've grown to know him a little bit, I've found out that most of the time my imagination is oftentimes the most sanctified part of who I am. And, and so there's this little movie inside of my head, and it was really short. It was about three seconds. And it was all of us gathering, and it was, uh, I could see everybody coming from, from all, the little, all the little roads. You got out of your houses, and you got in your cars, and everybody came, and they got in the room here. And... And we were all together, just like this. And then when we left, we left with great velocity. And we went out all over the town, but it was with great velocity. 
And it was just a little three-second little picture. It just came. I wasn't trying to have this picture. I was just sitting before the Lord saying, literally, I was just doing this. I was sitting in my chair at my desk, and I was just going, God, you're, you're incredible. I really love you. And I want to know you more. That's, literally, that's all I'm doing. That's pretty much my prayer life, by the way, anyway. It's, God, I love you, and I want to know you more. It's the secret to prayer. <clears throat> I don't have lists. It's just, God, I love you, and I want to know you more. But right in the middle of God, I love you, and I want to know you more, I, I get this picture. Everybody comes in, and we gather, and then when we leave, it, we leave with great velocity, and it's, it, it's like penetrating velocity. It, le- it spreads back out all over the community. After I had that picture, um, I didn't really understand it, and, and so I, I, I've grown enough in the Lord to, if I don't understand Him, I just ask Him in the moment. I said, Lord, what was that? Oh, he said, oh, Adam, that's... So I'm glad you asked. He said, you really didn't say that, but I like to imagine that as well. He said, he said, when we gather together on the weekends, it's like a man who puts a shotgun shell in his shotgun. And so all the, all, all of, all the collection of these individual little BBs get put, and they get put in the right place. And, but there's something that happens. There's a synergy that happens on Sunday morning that... By the time we leave, um, it's like a man who pulls the trigger on the shotgun shell that he just let, that he just put in his, in his gun, and it leaves with great velocity. And then he spoke to me, and he said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent will take it by force. And I feel like we're just in this season right now where, there are, as Bill Johnson says, there's certain things you can only receive by becoming a child, but then there's other things you have to just take by force. And we're just in this place of take it by force. We're in this rhythm. He's putting us in his rhythm, and it's the rhythm of proclaim and then do what you just said. Freedom for captives. Freedom for captives. <clears throat> yeah, and there's just a sense in which when we come together, we become unified and aligned, and we get put on the same page, and we get filled with power for an assignment. That's really kind of what the Lord was speaking. And this is really important because it's it's absolutely critical that every single person in the room, that all of us, live feeling the assignment of the Lord on our life. Like we need to live with an awareness that God has put me on assignment. Um, a lot of reasons, not the least of which is, is that Jesus came to the planet on assignment. Like he didn't just show up because heaven got bored, boring, you know? Like, oh, this gold, this singing, God Almighty, get me out of here. If you're uptight, you're going to have a really hard time with me. Yeah, Jesus didn't come to the planet because he was bored. He came to the planet because the Father had an assignment. So Jesus shows up on assignment, lives his entire life out of a place of, of assignment. Jesus even said at one point, he said something really crazy. He says, my food is to do the will of my Father. He, he had such a deep experience of assignment on his life. He actually told everybody, it actually nourishes me. Like, you guys get strength from eating cookies. I get strength from working for my Father. He was, that's what he's literally saying. And it's actually the key to fasting, by the way, is to live under assignment. That's actually really good. It just, that, that'll, that'll break freedom for a lot of people right off. Jesus actually said, my, it's my food to do my Father's will. I get nourished. I get strengthened. You guys can eat. 
I'll go, I'll go hungry for 40 days and end up being stronger at the end of it because I just want to be with him. So Jesus lived with this awareness of Simon. And because of that, it's critical. Like if we want to be Christians, Christians just mean little Christ, like Jesus. It means copycat. If we're going to be like him at all, it's essential that we live with a deep awareness of assignment. That we, that we wake up in the morning, and it may not be the first thought, but it needs to be thought five or six. That I'm not here just to eat, sleep, go to work, be bored, buy a boat. Once I buy a boat, buy a bigger boat. Once I buy a bigger boat, buy a bigger boat. Once I buy a bigger boat, buy a houseboat. You know, see, life is, life is more than just going to a job you hate so that you can acquire things that break, that rot, that eventually become worth nothing and don't even fit in your garage and you can't even put your car in there. Isn't that right, Andrew? Right, okay. I just wanted to confirm with one of the elders... <laughs> yeah, so I just feel like we're in this moment where the Lord's putting us in tempo, and we're we're in a, we're in a moment where um, where God is just beginning to anoint us with power, and He's beginning to target us for an assignment. See, the real joy in life is living a prophetic journey with the Lord. That's the real joy. There is no joy apart from feeling the invitation on your life to such an extent that you find yourself living a prophetic journey. Part of that means you don't even entirely know where you're going to end up. Like the real joy in life is actually when you get to the spot when you're, you're not even entirely sure where the Lord's going to take you. The Lord called Abraham and said, I want you to leave your family, the family you've known your entire life. I want you to go to a place I'll show you later. He did it. I think Abraham was the happiest guy ever when he left his dad's house. Maybe not immediately, but I think it grew. Because the Lord kept appearing to him over his entire life. You know, real life isn't about having dinner and working a job you hate. Drinking a beer and watching some Monday night football. That's pretty good. But that's not real life. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, all of that is window dressing around the real issue of, am I on a prophetic journey with the Lord? Do I feel like He's leading me? Do I feel His invitation to step into things that I'm not even entirely sure where they're going to take me? You know? If you've never lived like that, I just encourage you to quit your job. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but not really. But sort of. But not really. Are you confused? Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Real joy in life is being on journey with the Lord. Real joy in life is having an assignment. So I want to look at Luke 9 here just real quick. I'm going to tie it back into Joshua 10 actually parallel passages in the weirdest way. <clears throat> I want to read a few verses to you. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, just sit next to a Christian and look at theirs.
settle. Hmm. You guys are having fun. All right, Luke 9, 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons. Oh, actually, I said that wrong. To drive out all demons and cure diseases. That part always freaked me out. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. See, healing the sick is preaching the kingdom. It ain't just words, it's what we do. And he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bread, no bag, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave the town as a testimony against them. So they set out, and they went from village to village, preaching the gospel, and just healing people everywhere. I like this part. This is super weird. And now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all the things that were going on. And he was totally perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, and others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets from long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Now that is a totally has nothing to do with our message, but it's really great. Here's the deal. When we actually come into tempo with the Lord, when we actually become a community of proclamation and demonstration, when we actually become a community where the gospel isn't just something I say, but it's something I have to offer, the highest places of government will say, what is going on? Take me to Jesus. You know, like, we have this concept that we're going to change the nation by getting a a Christian president. I'm telling you, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Like Rick Perry can go to the White House tomorrow. It ain't going to matter. Unless God's people become in rhythm with proclamation and demonstration. It won't. Like nobody, nobody in Washington cares. By the way, in case you haven't realized this, all of us are just being played by our politicians anyway for our votes. Like if the Republicans really wanted to do anything about abortion, they would have tried harder. They've been using it to just to nab our votes anyway. Sorry to become so political all of a sudden, but it bothers me. They're just jerking us around. It's kind of true. So real change at the highest place comes from at the lowest place change happening. The kingdom of heaven is a grassroots movement. It's never about having the, the top dog in power. It's always about having the absolute nobodies, absolutely regular Joes. Plumber Joe, it's about Plumber Joe being anointed. That's what it's about. Patrick reads the New York Times. He remembers that. <clears throat> yeah. A couple things I want you to notice there in the scripture. First thing is that, is that Jesus had called the twelve together. And when he called the twelve together, in this community of together, that's the place that he gives away power and authority. Like, power and authority is not an individual solo event. There are no... Lone Rangers in the kingdom of heaven. There are no Han Solos either. But power and authority come upon a church. Power and authority is meant for a community. We can't walk in greater anointing without walking in greater togetherness. And so this is where we are. We're we're receiving a new anointing from him and this is with this will come a new assignment because anytime Jesus hands out power and authority, he never hands out power and authority to a community so we can have you know, better meetings or like weirder things happen. He hands out power and authority 
so that he can, he can accomplish a new assignment. There's always, there's always, always a line between power, authority, anointing, and mission. They, all, they always, always, always go together. So we're just in this time where he's handing out, I feel like, a new anointing for us guys, and he's putting it on the community. And this is, this is a really cr- critical word. If you want to increase in power and authority on your life, if you want to become a bigger player in Jesus' mission being accomplished in the earth, you have got to be here or somewhere. Like, you can't go do your own thing and then come in and get a little power and authority when you want it. You can't. Like, I'm not saying you have to stay at the vineyard. If this isn't your place, dude, it's totally cool. Elkhorn's a great church. I like that guy. You know? But you've got to find your place. And the other thing I want you to notice here is that, that none of the disciples got left out when Jesus was handing out power and authority. Now, this is totally crazy because most of us live with such like a broken orphan spirit. You know, we have no trouble believing that God is love for someone else, right? We have no problem believing that God will hand out power and authority for that guy over there. You know, isn't that cool? Of course, he'll give it to Adam. He's the pastor. Of course, he'll give it to Andrew. He never says anything mean, you know? <laughs> But the thing I get really encouraged about in this scripture is that Jesus is handing out power and authority. He leaves nobody out. If you're connected to the group, no one gets left out. There's this really great psalm in Psalm 133. It says, it's really cool when everybody hangs out together. It's not really what it says. That's the way I like it, okay? I mean, it's really awesome when everybody's together. But it actually says, how lovely it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like oil on the head, even on Aaron's head, running down his beard, down on his collar, to the edges of his robe. What's the point? The, pointing, the point is, there's an aspect of God's anointing and God's power that is absolutely communal. There are certain parts of, parts of the anointing, there are certain parts of power that come top down, and it doesn't matter who the top is. It really, really doesn't. We think it does, it doesn't matter, because by the end of the day, the anointing that hits the top of the head ends up out of the edge of the robe anyway, so everybody's operating under the same anointing. Come on. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Come on. <laughs> so if you want to enter into a greater, um, a, a greater uh, if you want to be a greater participant with Jesus' mission, you're going to need his power and his authority. If you're going to get power and authority, you've got to get connected in a meaningful way to, to this, you know? You can't stick your toe in and end up with the juice. Anybody need that translated? Marcus, yeah. What that means, Marcus, is is that you can't be here just a little bit or like with part of your heart and end up with Jesus' power and glory. Okay, cool. Thank you, Marcus. And we really do, we really do need power and authority for the mission because, because power without authority is just barbaric. Can I tell you that? See, power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to do it. And you need both, okay? Power is ability, authority is the right to do it, and power without authority is just barbaric. It's rogue, and it's ultimately rebel. It will release a rebel spirit in your life. See, we live with assignment, and when we live under, with assignment, we're not just picking up our own assignment. We live with an assignment that, that is underneath the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that hands out assignment, and He's the one that hands out power and authority. If we're going to increase in power, we're going to have to increase and submission to his assignment and submission ultimately to his own lordship. Power without authority is just rogue, it's rebel, it'll turn you into an absolute wacko. 
I could tell stories, but I won't. But the other part, of, the other side of the ball is this. Authority without power is completely impotent. And it turns all of us into debaters. And it makes everything about debate. And ultimately, we turn every issue into an intellectual issue where the smart people are the ones who win and ultimately get control. But here's the thing. Intellect in the kingdom of heaven is not, it is not just about uh, the number of cells that cooperate inside of your brain. Intellect in the kingdom of heaven and intelligence always has a faith aspect and always is connected to trust. So it doesn't matter who's smart. Like, if you've got power and authority, you can be an idiot and be so smart in the kingdom of heaven. Like an absolute fool. Goofy. I have other words that I won't use now. Fill in the blank. Go ahead, we'll take ten seconds. I did a really good job of editing there. I need some affirmation. But I love what Jesus does. So he sends out 12 together and he gives them power and authority over, it's, it's absolutely astounding, all demons, all of them, all devils, every single one of them, every devil in hell, he gives them power and authority over every single devil in hell, all of them. You know, a lot of times when we begin to talk about the demonic realm or something, like we get, off, we get all completely afraid, we totally freak out. We're like, oh my gosh, the devil's going to get me, he's going to kill me. No, he's not. See, like the, 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 most, the most immature, complete baby Christian has power and authority, has Jesus on the inside. They, they all run away, you know, every devil in hell. All demons. You only get this in Luke, by the way, this language. All demons and then cure diseases and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Anybody in here up for like a, like a, like a pay raise and power and authority? You up for that? Yeah. The question that comes right along with it is: anybody, everybody in here, up for having to get along with everybody else in here? <laughs> kind of goes together. I'm absolutely convinced that the power of God is only limited by our ability to love one another. It's really it. God, God will anoint a body to the extent they're willing to love one another. See, I'm, I'm really asking the Lord for the all demons anointing. That's just me. That's just me. Yeah, one of the things I find most interesting in the scriptures is that Jesus did nothing alone. Never did, he never did one thing alone. So he hung out in his mom and dad's house for 30 years making end tables and coffee tables and headboards. And then when he began his ministry, like before he began preaching, he gathered disciples around him. This is really important, by the way. But do you, do you guys think it's interesting that Jesus did nothing, absolutely nothing alone? His first miracle at, at, the, at the wedding, 180 gallons of wine for people who are already drunk. He had his disciples around there with him. It was the first time he kind of showed them his cards. Yeah. So what's the point? The point is, it's what the Lord's inviting us into. He's inviting us into this relationship where he wants to accomplish his own purpose and his own will 
today just like he did back then. Like Jesus went about doing the Father's work and bringing some guys with him. And right now, even, even, even today, even though Jesus is resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father, which, by the way, isn't that far away. It's, like just, it's just right over there. It's just a different realm. Sometimes, sometimes during worship it breaks in. You know? And so even though, even though we're living in a, in, separated by some time in a different realm, God's intention is to see things happen on the earth the exact same way. Like Jesus wasn't joking when he assembled his team. That's, that's how it works. You partner with Jesus, things happen. And the reason I bring this up is because I feel like this is just a moment when the Lord is beginning to change, change our minds about how, the thing, how things work in the earth. It's really key. He's beginning to change our minds. He may not change anybody else's mind, but he's gonna, he is dead set and intent on changing our minds about how things happen and how things work in the earth. What do I mean by that? How many of you guys have ever heard things like this? Well, everything happens for a reason, right? My good friend uh, drove to Lexington, flipped his car, and died. Huh? Everything happens for a reason, right? I'd like to suggest to you that everything does not happen for a reason. Not even close. I would like to suggest to you that lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of things are happening, even today, that God is not okay with. I'm making some people nervous. I felt nervousness just increasing in the room. That's okay, because I just walk in perfect peace. Get nervous. (laughs) No, but... I'd like to suggest to you that lots of things are happening right now in the earth and have been happening for a long time that God is absolutely not okay with. How many of you you realize that it doesn't take great intellectual power to understand that when six million Jews were gas-chambered to death and thrown in a fire, that God had no part of that? He, he He wasn't trying to prove one point to anyone when that happened. You know? No, I have to be extreme in order to get our hearts equated in the room and, and sort of on the same level. But, it's, but, but, but the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of us are living in private, personal holocausts all the time, and our families are experiencing trauma. Though not that extreme, it's just the reduced micro version of what happened at a macro level under the demonized leadership of a man. You know? So not everything that happens in the earth is God's plan. And the reason I know this, a couple reasons. If you want to write some scriptures down, you can write these down, you can go read them, and then you'll be less nervous. Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, it says, this is what it says about the Lord. It says, the Lord is the kind of person who doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. That's, just, that's, that's the Lord's will. That's his real, honest heart. The Lord doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to repent. The Lord doesn't want anyone to die in sin. He wants everybody to come to their right minds. That's what he wants. How many of you guys realize that lots of people are perishing and lots of people absolutely refuse to repent? Yeah. So not everything happens is God's will and it's not God's plan. Not only that, but it says in Psalm 115, 
verse 16, it says that the Lord, he says, the heavens are mine and the earth is yours. That's just my paraphrase. But he says, the heavens are mine and the earth he gave to men. And I want you to realize this. When, when the Father gave the earth, when he gave the planet to us, it wasn't joking. It wasn't a mirage. He actually, actually, actually did it. He says, I've created everything. I'm so totally into sperm whales and norwals. They're incredible. I made plankton, and I love plankton. I have made baboons. I have made platypus. I have no idea what was going on that moment. But I made the platypus. It has, it has a bill. It has web feet. It has fur like a beaver and a tail. I don't get that. But he made it, and at the end of it all, God said, it's really good. And then when he made people, he says, it's incredibly good. And then he looked at the couple people that he made, and he says, here's what, here's what i got a plan. It's yours. I just want you guys to take care of it. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. I want you to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. I want you to just, it's yours. And I'm not even joking. It's totally yours. That's what I want you to do. And he put them in a garden, and the garden was perfect. And he says, I want you to take everything that you've experienced in this perfect garden and everything that, that you have gathered from being with me while I walk with you in the morning and I want you to begin to extend that around the planet and everything that isn't totally finished I want you to finish it that's what the Lord's plan was by the way when the new earth and the new Jerusalem come out of heaven and fall on this planet one day he's going to respond to us in the exact same way he's going to say fill the earth subdue it and go do cool things I hope you realize that a lot of what you're doing right now has eternal weight. This is why you cannot live a life hating your job and doing what you hate. Because you were created. There is desire on the inside. This ain't been on notes, but it's got to preach. Um, there is desire on the inside of every single person to do great things, and you have desire to like go and create. Every single person has a desire to create. The reason you have desire to create is because your father is a creator. If you live outside of a desire to create, you will live a frustrated life and you will be so totally surprised when you meet him and he says, hey, it's eternity, you're never going to die and I need you to create. You're going to be like, well, I don't have to go to that job I hate every single morning. No, you don't. It might take you a couple thousand years just to get your, your mind renewed. I'm saying like, you should probably start now because it will help. <laughs> <laughs> it will help but we have every single thing that you're doing right now it, it carries eternal significance like we cannot Christians cannot do insignificant things you know the reason that you know the reason that we don't that the government isn't shaped with like God's heart it's because Christians says well it's more holy to get away from the world and so we bowed out and we said well we're not going to get education because we don't want to rule anything. We just want to stay in our little home. We'll have a real nice house. I want my wife to obey me. And I want, I want dinner when I get there. And I want my kids. And we'll just do this. And Little League softball, that'll be enough. You do that a couple hundred years, next thing you know, the only people who are in power are pagans. Because they're like, dude, you guys don't want it. We'll take it. See, here's the deal. Everything is up, not just for this 70 years. It's up for eternity. Okay? It's up for eternity. So, Second Peter, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to get them to their right minds. But we all know that some people are perishing and some people are crazy. It's not God's plan. It's not His will. And in Psalm 115, it says, Psalm 115, 16, it says, The heavens are mine, and I'm going to give the earth to men. And in Luke chapter 3, when Jesus runs into the devil... Sorry, did I say something funny? I need you to listen a little closer. 
Yeah, Luke chapter 3, when Jesus runs into the devil, the devil comes to him, and one of his temptations is this. He says, hey, Jesus, if you'll just, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms. How many of you realize that that was an actual valid offer? Like, like the devil wasn't playing like bait-and-switch salesman. Like, well, maybe I can get him to believe this, and then I'll trick him. He wasn't doing that. He actually has them. And then the, even more disturbing, this is really disturbing, kind of. Kind of. It's kind of disturbing, and it's kind of like inspiring for me. In 1 John, if you want to write this down, 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. And I want you to understand this. This is, this, is, this is John, probably John, the beloved disciple. And he is writing this, chapter 5, verse 19. He is writing this after Jesus has been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended. And this is almost at the end of John's life. John writes this. He says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Well, wait a minute, time out. I thought like the resurrection and... Are we scrambling eggs now? We'll put some salt and pepper on it. It'll be really lovely. See, here's the deal. Jesus is handing out power and authority, and I think he wants to hand out power and authority in a greater measure with us because power and authority are critical for maintaining control and here's the deal power and authority are similar to but not the same thing as control jesus says in matthew 28 and he isn't joking here either he says all authority is mine right go make disciples and we'll give it to you how many of you realize that all authority is not the same as all control why do bad things happen on the earth because jesus ain't got all the control He's got all the authority, he has every single right, and he has all the power. But power and authority are not the same thing as control. Power and authority are the mechanisms by which you maintain and gather control. Everybody with me? All right. Like, Why do people die of cancer in slow and painful and deteriorating, agonizing ways? Because the kingdom of heaven has not yet fully breached the earth. That's why. Because the devil is a bad devil and he likes torturing people. That's why. Now here's the good news in all that. Because every single one of us has lost people you know, too early. I mean, why did Jesus raise the dead? Jesus raised the dead because not everybody dies in God's timing. You know? And so a lot of us in here have lost people you know, too early. Or you know, tragic car accidents. Or you know, our, you know, our fathers got cancer and we just died. And... They were only like 50 or something like that. And we're like, that's not okay. You know, so, what do I, so how am I supposed to feel about that? Well, here's the good news. The good news, and it, and it really isn't fake good news. It's actual real good news. The real good news is this. That every single person who has placed their life inside of Jesus, cancer and, and death, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death is just sleeping. It's just temporary. They will come back. And by the way, when they come back, it's not going to be their disembodied spirit. It's going to be their body. You realize that right now in, in heaven, Jesus is sitting on a throne. It's not a fake throne. It's a real throne. It's not a spirit throne. It's a real throne. And he is sitting there, not as a spirit. He's sitting there as a body. Like he has scars. You could go to heaven. You could put your hands on Jesus. You can't touch the Holy Spirit. You can't touch the Father. But you can put your hands on Jesus. And he will be a person, a human being with a body forever. And when he resurrects people, they're not going to come as back as disembodied spirits float around in nebulous things that we take pictures of with Hubble telescopes. 
they, they're going to come back as people. And so the good news is, even if we've lost somebody tragically too early, the good news is God's got a backdoor plan and he's going to raise everything up. But in the meantime, he has assignment and the assignment is bring the kingdom here. Bring heaven to earth. On earth as it is in heaven. That's our assignment. <clears throat> so with Jesus' cross and resurrection, he won back power and authority. The last Adam was taken back what the first Adam gave away. And so what's next? The next part is that God's just looking to partner. And so much of the planet's trajectory is really laid at our own feet. And that's what I want us to catch this morning. So much of what happens in Campbellsville, it's laid at our feet. If Campbellsville has a drug problem, it's actually laid at our feet. If Campbellsville has a drug problem, it's because Christians are buying the drugs. You know? It's laid at our feet. The trajectory of central Kentucky sets at our feet in this room right now. That's where we want us to gather. Now I want you to turn to turn to Joshua chapter 10. It's a really great piece of scripture. Look at verse 16. We're going to read the part of Joshua chapter 10 that nobody ever reads. Because the first part is where the sun stands still and everything. You all remember that, right, from Sunday school? Maybe you don't. You should go back and read it. It's good. Let's look at verse 16. <clears throat> Let me give you a little background. I'm sorry. Uh, children of Israel, they've been like battling all these enemies, and specifically there have been, uh, some, there have been these uh, five territories that have come against some friends that they didn't even know they were friends, but on accident Joshua agreed not to kill these other guys. Oh, this is really, I'm, not, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this. <laughs> oh. So dudes came to Joshua and said, hey, we heard you got an army, don't kill us. Joshua said, well, maybe we should kill you. And they said, no, we're from far away. And they said, no, we, we won't kill you. So they make a contract, come to find out, they've pulled a fast one on the Israelites. And after they find out that those people that they were actually supposed to kill and made a contract and said, we won't, those people call Joshua back and say, hey, there's these five kings and they're coming with armies and they're going to kill us. And Joshua, because of his word, says, well, I'll come and help you. Okay? And he brings the armies of Israel and they go on a killing spree and they kill people left and right. Okay? I'm sorry. This is going to be really violent. The next, fifth, the next eight minutes are rated R. <clears throat> now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Machedah. I don't know if that's how it is, but that's how I like to say it. And when Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave at Machedah, he said, <laughs> Roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. But don't stop. Pursue your enemies. Attack them from the rear and don't let them reach their, their cities. For the Lord your God has given them into your hands. So Joshua and the Israelites destroyed them completely. Almost to a man. But a few who were left reached their fortified cities. The whole army then returned safely to Joshua in the camp at Machedah, and no one uttered a word against the Israelites. Everybody been talking smack? They don't talk smack anymore. Mostly because they're dead. Mostly. And so Joshua said, this is really great, he says, open the mouth of the cave and bring, oh, look at that, bring those five kings out to me. He's got attitude. And they brought the five kings out of the cave, and the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. And when they brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel 
And he said to the army of commanders who had come with him, this is really strange, I want you to grab this. He said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and they placed their feet on their necks. Stop. This story really makes no sense to us. We live too far away from it. I don't put my feet on anyone's neck. Ever. But here's what happens. So they're, they're attacking these armies. They finally found these five kings. Joshua says, lock them in a cave. Put rocks over it. Put a man there. We'll deal with him when I get back. They go out. They kill all the armies that these kings represent. And when they come back, Joshua says, open up the cave and bring those kings out to me. Have them lay on the ground. And this is normally what would happen. Normally what is supposed to happen is that the conquering army, the conquering king, the conquering general is supposed to go and walk on their necks. Sometimes you would break their neck. You wouldn't care, right? So the conquering king, the conquering general, the conquering army is supposed to go and walk on their necks. And Joshua does this really strange thing. He doesn't walk on their necks. He looks to his army commanders and he says, you walk on their necks. I hope you're getting this. This is actually, this is actually a foreshadowing of Luke chapter 9. This is actually a foreshadowing of Jesus' entire ministry. You realize that Joshua is a type of Christ. So when we read the entire book, Joshua basically has the same name as Jesus. So Joshua represents Jesus. So here's what we got. In the Old Testament, a prophetic foreshadowing of what the Lord Jesus himself came to do. Joshua shows up, and he's got his men. Joshua led the 12 tribes of Israel into the promised land. Jesus led the 12 disciples into bringing the promised land into their, into, their, into their territory. And Joshua says to his men, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to walk across their necks. I want you to do it. And really what it is, is it's the Lord saying the same thing to us this morning. There are certain things I'm just not going to do. There are certain things I cannot do. There are certain things, I know that freaked some of you out. There are certain things that I am separated from in my own choice so that you can have a free planet and you and I can relate to one another as actual real people and not robots. There are certain things I am not going to do. You will have to trample their necks with your own feet. We getting this? Yeah. You're like, wow, that's so violent. I thought he was a God of love. Here's the deal. If he's a God of love, he has to judge every single thing that destroys his children. If he's actually good, if he's really good, he has to judge everything that oppresses. He has to. And by the way, what are the kings for us? Well, the kings for us are, at least in this town, the kings for us are, are cancer, and the kings are drug addiction, especially prescription drug addiction. This town is absolutely eat up with prescription drug addiction. That's one of the kings. And one of the things the Lord is saying, he's saying, I'm not going to do anything about it. I want you to go and walk on their necks. I want you to go walk on the necks of drug addiction. I want you to go walk on the necks of cancer. I want you to go and walk on the necks of sexual abuse. And, and, and fill in the blank, right? And, but here's the deal. The Lord said it this way. He says, I'm going to give you power and authority to you so that you can actually go and exercise kingdom control over these boundaries that put my people in slavery. Amen? Another really strange scripture until we get this mindset is Romans. It's in the, at the end of Romans. Uh, y'all remember that scripture? Romans 16.20? Paul says... 
the God of peace will soon put Satan underneath your feet, right? We used to sing that song in like kids camp or something. And you had to jump. I hate motions with songs. It makes me feel weird. It's just me though. But isn't that a weird scripture? Such a weird scripture. Shouldn't it be the God of peace will soon put Satan underneath Jesus' feet? Isn't that where the devil is? He's underneath Jesus' feet. He's going to trample him. Jesus. With his Jesus power, right? Right? Am I getting... Right? Are y'all getting this? Well, no, what, is, what does the apostle say? He says, no, no. The God of peace is going to put Satan under your feet. I want you to go trample his neck. Bring him out of the cave. Have him lay on the ground. See, it's all actually being set up for us right now as well. Like, we don't even have to go and trap those guys. They've already been trapped for us. And I really feel like that, especially even in this town. We've already identified them. We know who they are. They live around us all the time. Like, you can't run. You can't, you can't throw a rock into a crowd without hitting somebody who's either got, got some kind of, like, incurable disease, some kind of cancer, or some kind of drug addiction that's ruining their life, you know? And the reason I know that is because I have a little health food store. And, they, and these people come to my store all the time. It's everywhere. You can talk to somebody for 30 seconds and they'll tell you they're totally addicted to porn and have a drug problem. You know why I know that? Because they do all the time. You think, that's really weird. I would never do that. You're not that desperate. Like, our community is completely desperate. They're so desperate. This is, this is bizarre. It, our community is so desperate that last year, six, and this is crazy. I'm not going like, to uncover anybody, but I, I do want you to realize this. Six girls came and talked to me in my office about same-sex attraction. Six. This is Campbellsville. Now, why is that so shocking? It's so shocking, at least for me, because number one, they didn't grow up in this church, and they don't know me. And then number two, that seems like it should be something that a girl would go find another woman to talk about. Definitely not a man. I'm totally fine with that, by the way. It's totally cool. Welcome to my office. It was great. But how desperate do you have to be to come to a church you really don't know and go talk to a man pastor that you really don't know one-on-one alone in his office and tell him the deepest secret of your heart, the thing that's keeping you chained up. Like People are actually really, really desperate. They're everywhere. They're completely desperate. You know, homosexuality and same-sex attraction, that's one of those things that's in our community. It is deep in our community and is one of those things that God wants to put, he wants, he wants anointed people to put their feet on it and break the neck of that thing and turn people loose. He really, really does. All right, I feel like I've done enough. All right. Here's what I want to do this morning. Um, If you're on the ministry team, I want you to come on up. Awesome. 